Okay. So uh, one of the things that, you know, we deal with all the time is dentists come to us and they want to do marketing because they want to drive more patients. But the problem is rarely on the marketing side of things. It's usually the customer service, the way the phone calls are handled. That's really where a lot of the problems are. Now, Alex, I know you're, you have done marketing. You know, your father was a dentist. You initially came in, you try to help him grow his business. Uh, and I wonder if you could share, sort of share that story of what did it really take to actually increase patient flow? Because I, I think a lot of dentists are under this illusion that if you just sprinkle some SEO on your business, it's going to somehow change everything. And that's not really where the problem lies. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I, I think this is the model of pay and pray. So if yeah. I spend a lot of money that maybe I'll make a bunch of money or throw the kitchen sink at it, it doesn't work that way. And with my father's practice, and I talk about this in the webinar that I know you'll put a link for as well. I go into more detail, but essentially, so I was a Tony Robbins coach at the time. I still am a, a lawyer and MBA and, and my father's business was facing financial difficulty. It was quite frankly, heading towards bankruptcy. Office manager made a lot of mistakes and he didn't run the business very well, but great dentist. And he was an extreme makeover caliber dentist. He had these accolades, these fellowships, uh, the, the level of dentistry was, was phenomenal. That's another misconception too, that just because I'm great at dentistry, I should have a lot of patients. Doesn't, if you build it, they will come, doesn't work that way. It's not the yeah, field of dreams definitely. from the reference from that movie. So I asked my dad, I said, look, can I help your business? I help a lot of other people. And he said, sure. He says, please help. <laughs> And so the first thing I did was I took over his marketing because again, he's got all these accolades. Nobody knows about the quality of Panky trained dentist, fellow of the AGD, Extreme Makeover. He had a relationship with Extreme Makeover Lab and he was one of their top dentists. So he was the, the top of the top. And so I wanted to get that message out there. So I revamped his marketing. I hired SEO consultants and I, and I was a little whiz on SEO. And this was the golden age of SEO where nobody was doing it. And so we ranked number one for everything. And we were getting calls through the roof, but no change. And I said, something's wrong here. The phones are ringing. I'm on the first page of every SEO word you can imagine. Website's phenomenal. And it wasn't working. So Heather, who's on the call, say hi, Heather. You there? Hi, Heather. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. At, at the time, she was my girlfriend, now my wife, and she, her background's a Bloomingdale's trainer, sales manager, and she wanted to get out of the retail. She had a million dollar, multi million dollar client book, and she wanted to get out of the retail. So I joke, she was working for a dentist doing IT work, believe it or not, and she kind of got tired of him throwing computers at other people, not her. He had a little bit of a temper. And I said, Can I bring you into my father's office? So, so I did, we brought her in and she was exclusive on the phone. She would answer the phone. Nobody wanted to touch the phone. Like that, the phone was the worst thing that they could do. They did not yeah. want to touch it. They just wanted to do insurance, whatever. They did not want to handle the phone. It was, it was a interruption and she became that. And they were so happy to new patient, give it to Heather. And you could interrupt her and she was phenomenal. So she did that. No experience in dentistry whatsoever. And when, within 18 months, we took a million dollar practice and brought it to over 2 million within 18 months. That's awesome. And, and look, the marketing was important. If we didn't have the marketing, we wouldn't have the opportunities, but you have to convert them. 
and she did. Right, right. And one of the things that, you know, how we knew before I came into the practice is you said, something's not right. You, you said, we're doing all this marketing, calls are coming in. I see the, I'm tracking all the leads. What's going on? Can you listen to the calls for me? And that's when we discovered the big, big problem. And it's such a bottleneck in most practices is that the calls were coming in, but they weren't converting. There was no process. There was no system. There was no customer service. And that's your first impression. I mean, aside from the website, you have a beautiful website. Great. But then if the, the impression of the office when somebody calls up doesn't match up to the website or doesn't match up to their expectation, you're going you're to lose them. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see that a lot where on the outside, you can make your practice look like a Ritz-Carlton hotel. But if I pick up the phone to call you and, you know, somebody picks up and they're like, hello, you know, no customer service, no enthusiasm, you could just sense in their voice that they hate being there, that you're, you make you know, you're, they're making you feel like you're wasting their time. Kind of like, what do you want? I'm in the middle of something, you know, nobody's going to come in, right. You can't give them the motel six experience and somehow expect that people are going to come into your practice. So I think, yeah, that customer service part is really important is we, you, you can do marketing and you will drive more patient phone calls. I mean, we've done that for a lot of people, but it's not until you really tackle the internal customer service issues that, practices really see a significant jump in revenue without that you're you know you're only doing one piece of the puzzle and two thoughts one very nick you're one of the few not only that's why we work so much with you marketing geniuses to realize this and have ethics and integrity to say i'm not going to take your business if if you're not going to be if you're not going to do things to be successful Absolutely. That, that, that's, that's integrity. That's, it's very few out there. You, you're not like, just give me your money. It's like, I want you to be happy. That's very rare. That's what we, we, we really love working with you. The, the thing that occurs to me, there's a statement I've heard that if you want to be successful, you have to do the things that other people are not willing to do. Sorry, but economically, not everybody is going to be, be the best and they're not going to want to put the effort to be the best. And What's great is you can dump a lot of money to other marketing companies that will be very happy to take your money, build you a, a very nice site, do all the stuff, but create this lie. Because as we know, social media, your website, it's not reality. It's what you want to you put out there. The only time a patient knows reality is when you pick up the phone and when you come into that office, they're going to see the reality. And What's even worse is if you put the image that you're this wonderful place and you really aren't, you're going to start racking up the reviews. At least if you're, if you're not a great place, just put it out there. Eh, give us a call. Come on in. Be congruent. We're not yes, going to, absolutely. we're not going to put a lot of time with you, you know, whatever it might be. And this is what you're going to get. And that's what it's going to be. But if you put out there that you're a great practice and you care for people and you do all these things, you better back it. But the point is this, everybody wants that silver bullet. Everybody wants that edge. And you can't just buy yourself out of it. You have to do the hard things. And dentists that are listening, that starts with you and your leadership. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in other videos as well. Absolutely. I think leadership is a key part of it because everybody would love a service where ideally they can just sign the check 
or maybe tell, you know, uh, their staff to do some, you know, magic bullet type of formula and then everything is fixed. But the reality is that the dentists that are doing really well, I mean, they've got great leadership. People love working for them. They're positive. They're always investing in their team. They're trying to wow their patients and people want to work hard for them because they want to see them succeed. You know, on the flip side, you also have dentists that, you know, they're always searching for that magic pill solution. And, you know, they're always surprised when, you know, uh, they're, they're hiring a company that tells them what they want to hear. And then a year goes by, nothing really changes. And it's like, well, what did you expect if you're going to shop around for some quick fix? I mean, well, you, you, you got to be open to coaching. And what I love about you, Nick, you and your, your business is you coach your dentist. They look for your guidance and we coach our dentists. You have to be open to coaching. And I had this realization as well recently. You have to go in with proper expectations. You got to understand to be successful, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind. Well, I can say positive affirmations that it will be easy. Mm -mm. It will be a grind, but you, the, the trick is you enjoy the grind. You enjoy the journey. You enjoy that it's going to take work. It's going to take personal development. It's going to be hard at times, but you have to be willing to take that. If you're willing to do that, you have a, uh, there, there's a, a growth mindset is what they call it in a lot of these books that are coming out, a growth or expansion mindset. That's what you have to be ready for. And if you do that, not only will you have the success that you want monetarily, but you will, you will improve your happiness. You'll improve uh, the love of what you do and you'll improve the, the people around you. Okay. So Alex, Heather, you know, what I've seen a lot of dentists do is when they're hiring staff, they primarily just look at their, you know, technical skill set. Like the, do they know how to use my patient management system? Do they know how to process the insurance? And they just kind of throw them into, you know, doing the job day one without really a lot of training, without even a lot of thought about, you know, is this person warm and friendly? Do they have good customer service skills? I mean, you know, it's like, if you know how to use AbleDent or Tracker or whatever patient management system, you're hired start today, start answering phones today. But I feel like you're kind of setting people up to fail in that respect, right? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you're, you're speaking to a few issues. Well, one issue is the issue of just recruitment in general and hiring talent and having a full staff. It is difficult right now in dentistry to have to hire new team members. It was difficult before to get talent. It's even harder now, okay? One of the things that we found in the research pre-pandemic, and I'm sure it's worse now, is, well, actually it's a positive, that by sufficiently onboarding your team, training your team, you improve retention of employees by 25%. And I'm sure it's even higher, okay? That was an older study. So it's very important that we're consistently training our team and what training is, is, is training them in customer service, but also training them into your vision and having that, that relationship because we're always looking for the next thing. And so we want to make sure we, we retain. Now, in terms of hiring, you, and we talked about this before, Nick, is that you want to hire for the personality and train for the skill. Yeah, Heather, absolutely. Right? So mm -hmm. Heather, and you go, well, how can you do that? Well, Heather, back to the story with, with her and my father, she had zero dental experience. She worked in retail. Interesting. I love hiring for retail for the front office because of Heather and she crushed it. 
Now, obviously, if you have an assistant or, or, or hygienist, they have to get certain skills, but even those can be developed. You could hire potentially somebody in the front office that you can cultivate to be a hygienist or assistant in the future if you're patient enough, because they can go get the training. In the meantime, learn the customer service because everybody in the office should be trained on customer service, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah. I'm, and I'm going to go back because if the dentist or the owner does not have the vision uh, does not see that it makes sense because we talked about another video that monetarily, and we'll talk about in, in a later video, monetarily, it's going to make sense to, to do customer service. It's not this is wishy washy, it's nice to do. It's good business to run a Ritz Carlton like business. Uh, Heather, let me just go to you about tell, tell us mm -hmm. about the Ritz Carlton, how when they bring employees on, because Nick was saying you're hiring somebody for your, your practice management thing, and you just right on day one, they're answering the phone. What does Ritz Carlton do? Yeah, I mean, their their focus is finding the best people always with the best attitudes. I mean, they'll pay people to not take the job. They'll give you money and say, I'll give you this money if you don't take it to see who really wants to work for them. And that's the type of people that we want. We want people that want to work for our practice, that are excited about the vision of the practice, which is why it's so important to have the vision for the practice. But the Ritz-Carlton, I tell dentists, because they say, oh, you know, training, it's hard to fit it into the schedule. We're so busy. And I say, the Ritz-Carlton and Chick-fil-A and those companies are super busy too, but they always make it a priority to train. They won't let somebody even touch the phone, answer the phone, interact with people until they've had about 21 days to three months of training and onboarding on their systems, on their vision. They, every single person, if you go up to somebody at the Ritz-Carlton carries that little card with their vision and they can recite it to you and they show it to you and they're proud of it. And every year, I believe people actually train from everybody from the janitor up to you know senior management like 250 hours or something like that every year. And so to say, we don't have time, there's, if it's a priority, you make the time. That's yeah. I mean, I it's that whole sharpening the saw kind of problem, right? Because I, I think it was your book that I read this in, but there was Ritz Carlton had done a study uh, and trying to figure out, you know, we've got this group of customers that were longtime customers of our hotel. And for whatever reason, they decided to start going to other places, right? And they're trying to figure out like, well, what is it? Like, did we do something wrong? Like, was it the room? Like, what, what happened? And they found in their research and they interviewed, uh, you know, like hundreds or thousands of people, they found that in the vast majority of cases, like the, the leading factor was somebody they interacted with on their last visit made them feel like, indifferent. It, not that the service was bad or the room was bad or anything like that. They just like somebody that they interacted with could have been mm. the person at the front, the concierge, somebody who was cleaning the room, doesn't matter. Somebody that they interacted with made them feel like, you know, eh, I don't really care. Right. So you think like they were losing, you know, of, of the patients that basically, or the customers Ritz Carlton that were, that were switching over to other hotels, something like 60s to 70% of them, the reason was that simple. And then you imagine in a dental practice, I mean, I've seen cases where people come in, no one even looks up to greet them and say, hello, you know, they're busy on the mm -hmm. phone or they talk to patients kind of like, you know, Hey, I'm in the middle of something else. What can, you know, can you call me back later? The funniest case I've ever seen was 
we had a practice uh, get a call on Friday. It was about, you know, 4.30 p.m. And this office closes at five o'clock. And this was a new patient, you know, just moved to the area, called out, you know, they Googled the practice and wanted to book an appointment. And the receptionist told them, oh, I already turned off my computer. Uh, can you call <laughs> us back on Monday? And oh, obviously God. he said, uh, okay, right. And no, obviously he never called back. And you see a lot of cases like this where, you know, the practice is investing so much money in marketing, but no one's even paying attention to what is happening on the phones. Mm. Yeah, I think that what you said before is they're hiring, you know, for if they do the practice management software or if they, you know, understand the insurance. And I think that's really common in offices because they're like, well, I don't want to train on those things. But those things are things that you can easily learn. There's courses for insurance. There's courses for the dental software that you can find. But as you said, you can't train on the personality. And what happens is when you hire those type of people that want to focus on processing insurance or want to focus on, you know, whatever the tasks are, you're getting more task-oriented people instead of getting people-oriented people. And when you find team members that we call them having the woo factor, which is the ability to win one over that yeah. you need to have a really strong woo factor for admin, especially because they're interacting with people all the time and they have to be more people focused. Like for me, I'd much rather talk to somebody on the phone than process insurance or do a spreadsheet or whatever. I'm like, give me all the people. I want to talk to them. I want to help them. Those are the types of people that you want to put, you know, for front and center for the office. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think that what Nick is showing is any break in the chain, it, it messes all up. So we can't say we're just training our front office because if they get a bad experience somewhere else, it's not going to work. Mm. You can't just say, well, it's, it's good customer service on my website. It's not enough. It's got to be everywhere. The other thing, because talent, retaining talent and hiring talent has been so important. We actually, I don't know if I even told you, Nick, but we actually this is about a year ago is we, we launched a recruitment service. We recruit for the United States for positions, but we also run quarterly live, uh, basically HR hiring mm -hmm. courses that are, that are together. And we actually have people in the Netherlands and Canada, all over the world that we teach them the process of hiring, including personality profiles and all those other things. So and part of the reason why we did that is because so many people said, well, I can't train because I don't have the right staff. I, I, this is an excuse. Of course, you should always be training. But we say, okay, well, we'll help you hire them. Because you should always be, a lot of dentists are, they're always like, oh, I got to hire again. It should be like, this is an ongoing thing. This is just like, it's just running a business. There's no emotion necessary. It's here we go. We have an opportunity. It's a business decision. And we, we look forward to that challenge of perfecting and improving our team. And the training and the onboarding, what all these companies do, it keeps the team together on a common purpose. Okay, so one thing uh, I think gets a lot of dentists stuck is they can't really visualize the uh, sort of customer journey or patient journey that someone goes through and how, you know, I can come in and build your website where your conversion rate might go up from 1% to 5%. And that's great. You know, you're going to start seeing more phone calls coming in. But if you look at the math and the financials, if you actually start tackling the internal issues, like the phone conversion rate, the new patient experience, 
when you look at the revenue potential increase down the line, you have a bigger bang for your buck if you tackle problems further down the funnel than if you just try to focus on the website. So I know that in your book, you've got like a really great example of this where you break down the math and say, look, you can improve the website conversion and the AdWords and all that stuff. And that will have an impact on the end revenue. But look at what happens when you improve the phone conversion rate or you improve internal issues. The revenue increases substantially, you know, a much greater increase. I, I wonder if maybe you can just go through that example. Yes, I can for you, Nick. And, and I call it the all-star business growth formula. And this is something I adapted from my time with Tony Robbins is that basically there's one way you're getting, you're starting with business. You're getting some form of marketing, internal marketing, external marketing, referral marketing, whatever, or insurance. I don't know where else you're going to get it. That's where it's coming in. Now, the first step in the funnel is we have to convert the phone call. And so then whatever's left, whatever's not converted drops, whatever is converted, we now move to the next step, which is they have to show up for their appointments. We have to have some systems in place and make sure they show up. Then hopefully they accept some sort of treatment. They purchase something. And then if we did a great job on customer service, they will make referrals to us. And then this whole continues. And that's the only way you make revenue. Now yeah. you can, you know, you can make little slivers like collections and this and that, but this is the big broad brushes. Now, if we make some assumptions now in the webinar, and I know you'll post places for people to sign up for this is I, I kind of go into these numbers a little bit more, but let me just give you this from our research. We found that 35% of phone calls will convert to phone to appointments, about a third, 85% of patients will show up. 60% of patients accept treatment and 15% will refer. And that gives us a million, if we assume a million dollar practice as for our model. So looking at the numbers in order, if we're only converting 35%, we need to start with 5 million a year in opportunities, potential opportunities, because if only a third get converted, we're now at 1.75 million potential. The vast majority, as you can see, gone. Wow. Yeah. Gone. So you say, I want to dump more money in marketing as right. Nick, you're saying, uh, not your, not your problem. Okay. That's why Nick, you're very prophetic when you said, and you're a marketing guy, you're revealing the secret. You're saying, listen, marketing ain't your problem. If you can't answer the phone, you're throwing your money away with me, which yeah. I don't, I don't, and everybody listening, it's, I, I've, I've yet to meet many marketing gurus that say that because they don't want to tell you that because they want to take money from you. They don't care. They, they're, and I see so many places, unlike Nick, they, they, don't, they don't track your stuff. They don't provide any accountability because they don't want you to see that you're their problem, right? And they'll just end up, they want to take the money. So I give you a lot of credit, Nick. I'm just blown away and so impressed by how, how ethical and how great you run your business. Well, I mean, if you think about it in the long term, you know, let's say you convince a dentist to spend the money, but a year later, eventually, even how, like if they're terrible with financials, their accountant is going to give them a report and it's going to show that like your revenue didn't really improve all well, that much, you, you, right? You have, you have a conscience is what I'm saying. So, and you're telling the truth. So we're at 1.75 million. Then 85% convert. Oh, we dropped 15%. We dropped. So now we're at 1.5 oh, million. We're going down. Now only 60% accept treatment. Okay. That's, these are pretty good numbers. We're at 900,000. And then, okay, we have some people like us, 15% refer from that base. We're at a million dollars. So we had to start with 5 million in opportunities and we only got one fifth of it. 
at the end of it. So we say, okay, like the power of incremental improvement, we don't have to go crazy. Let's say we can improve 5% net each area. So our call conversion goes up to 40%, we're at 2 million. Our broken appointments or, or show up rate is now from 85 to 90%, we're at 1.8. Our acceptance rate went to 65, 1.2 million. Our referrals went from 15 to 20%, we're at 1.4 million. So incrementally improving each area of these customer service practice management skills, we increased our business by $400,000 or 40%. And then just for, for fun, let's go crazy. Let's say we improve 12% each area. Call conversions now 47%. Less than half of the phone calls we're converting. We're at 2.4 million. We can do even better than that. 97% show up, good, strong show up rate, 2.3 million. 72% accept treatment, okay? We're at 1.6 million and 26%, about a fourth of the, of the patients refer, we're at $2 million. We doubled our business without spending a lick more on marketing by just incrementally improving each area by 12%. And as Heather mentioned in another video, this is a... We, we, when we say, I don't have time to train, I don't have time to train. Hmm. It's all our schedule. We teach pre-blocking and block scheduling. Our schedule is a reflection of our priorities. And we just showed you here, Nick is what you were alluding to as well. We showed you here, we can, you can double your business incrementally or even go up hundreds of thousands of dollars by making customer service a priority. So yeah, now I mean, when, we, you, when you invest with, with Nick on marketing, it's all gravy. You're getting a lot more for what you invest. Yeah. I mean, marketing often is a catalyst, right? Like you're, you're, you're putting, you know, adding more fuel to the fire, you know, you're adding more gas in the gasoline tank. But, you know, if that internal engine doesn't work well, it doesn't matter how much fuel you put in, it's not really going to go very far. So most dentists we speak to, we ask them, you know, the questions that honestly, they should all know the answer to. So you ask them things like, if 10 people call you on average, how many are you actually going to book for an appointment? They have no idea, right? And I can confirm the numbers. Usually when we start with a practice on average, it's about one third of new patient calls that they'll book into, you know, actual appointments. When you ask them, you know, how many people actually show up, how many people accept treatment, no idea on any of these metrics. So they're under this illusion that if I just do some social media or SEO or flyers, it's going to fix everything. And it's like, no, you actually have to fix that engine first. And then once it's working very smoothly, you know, then you sort of like ramp up the marketing and then you're going to get a great return on investment. So if you put marketing through a really good business, $1 will turn into 20 in production exactly. very easily. Exactly. However, if you take an average below average practice where nobody has a clue what's going on day to day at the front desk, no one's measuring things. There's no real training. There's no systems. There's no process. Everyone is just running around like chickens with their heads. Well, cut you off. know what just occurred to me? I never, I just thought something for the first time. Marketing means you're getting your, the, the word of your business out there to many people. Right. But it's interesting if you're in, here's another thing, if you're investing in marketing and you don't have your customer service down, what are you marketing? Exactly. You're marketing mm. what not to do. Yeah. So you're paying somebody. I, I, this is the first time I ever considered this. This is, this is a new idea. <laughs> I'm Nicholas's show is the, the, the first, the, I just realized that you are paying a marketing company 
to market how bad you are to the general exactly. public. Exactly, exactly. But mm. yeah, that's exactly what happens because the way I, I sort of visualize might not be the, the nicest example, but I think of marketing, think of like your, your standard, uh, like a fan, you know, like a household fan. Sure. And your business is what you put in front of that fan right now. If you just baked like this wonderful fresh oh, bread, right? <laughs> it smells amazing. I mean, obviously it's going to attract everybody anyways, uh, but if you put, you know, a fan in front of it, it's going to waft the, that amazing smell to a further distance. It's right. going to bring people in. If you input in front of that fan, put a bag of dog poo. Okay. What do you think is going to happen? Go. Right. It's, it's like, and then they think, oh, well, you know what, if there's something wrong with the market, you know, there's something wrong with the fan. It's like, trust me, it's not the fan. That's the problem. Oh, interesting. Um, that's so that's why a lot of the time I look at their business and we turn a lot of business down. I mean, even like this week, we've turned about three people down is you, when you look at them, you, I say to them, sometimes it's like, you're a bit too early. You need to work mm -hmm. on your reviews. You need to work on your customer service because you're going to pay me money. And I'm not going to be able to help you grow because that's not really where your problem is at. So I'd much rather that they take the time and improve the customer service, the reputation, you know, make some leasehold improvements to the practice. You know, nobody wants to walk into a dental practice that look what the decor looks like it's from it's the true. 1980s. Right. Uh, but once they have all that stuff done, obviously there is, uh, you know, diminishing returns, right? You, you might be able to improve your phone call conversion rate from 30% to 70%. You're never going to get it to 90%. I mean, there's going to sure. be people who call you that are exactly. just not a good fit, mm -hmm. but you're going to get a much better bang for your buck. If you tackle the things uh, inside of your business first, and then bring somebody like me on board to ramp up what you have, then mm -hmm. the other way around. Okay. So guys, one thing I've seen with uh, a lot of other training companies, right. Is they teach this formula of, you know, just get them in, you know, always be closing. I don't know if you guys watched the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's like an absolutely amazing movie. And uh, Alex Baldwin did the speech of, you know, uh, you got to oh, always yeah, be yeah, closing. Yeah. Yeah. He won an Oscar for that. A really great scene. And you know, that and, and the reflects... movie, like movie, like boiler room and things like that. Yeah. Yes. I get it. So they teach them, you know, all these like tactics of, you know, here's how you're going to get them to say yes. You know, you're going to, you're going to build it up so that, you know, eventually they're going to accept uh, the appointment. But every time I've seen practices work with companies like this, you know, what happens in the beginning, they'll get a few more people coming in. But what you inevitably start seeing is six months later, a year later, things actually start to dip. Review, bad reviews start coming in. You know, it, it's like the tip of the iceberg where it's like, this is what happens when you try to push treatment on people. Now, I think what I liked with you guys and, you know, why like, like the only company we refer uh, for training is you've made it clear. It's like, we're not teaching you sales. It's not about sales, not about converting the patient. It's about, you know, customer service. And I, I wonder, maybe you just talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, your philosophy differs quite a bit from every other training company that I've talked to. Yeah. For, for me personally, I love helping people and connecting with people. And I feel like, you know, first of all, you have to love the dental practice that you work for. You have to understand, you know, talk to the doctor, look at their work and, and really have, believe in it because I think that's the first thing. And doctors, I always say, make sure your team knows what you do and how well you do it. And, you know, if that person doesn't feel comfortable going to their own practice or their family to that practice, then they're not going to be a good person to talk about the dentistry. But I think that, you know, rapport is the first thing for sure. You have to have that with the patients. And, you know, we've seen practices that, 
they did the get in philosophy and they got a ton of patients, right? Like they were like, oh, I had 150 new patients a month, but they had a ton of cancellations. They, they weren't converting the, those appointments to the cases weren't getting accepted. So, you know, you have to look at all that. It's like in our practice, when we tried that, we actually tried the get them in philosophy and it didn't work. We saw, you know, so many new patients that were coming into the office, but they weren't converting. They weren't accepting treatment. They weren't showing up. And at the end of the day, some of the, the months that we had, you know, maybe 50 new patients, but they were really, really high quality new patients were some of our highest production months. And some of the other ones were some of the lowest production months. I think that the focus needs to be on polite pre-qualification. There are different things that we do during the call to really get to know the patient and make sure you understand their needs, make sure we, we are the right place for them. And you know, that we're not just booking people and telling you, come on in, we'll take care of you. And then, you know, we don't take their insurance and they get mad or we're way out of their budget that they wouldn't even consider coming to the office, but we just filled up a, a spot for them. And so all of those things I think really have to be looked at. Yeah. I mean, I, from listening to calls, you see a lot of these examples where, you know, you touched upon it's important that your staff know what you do. I mean, that sounds really obvious, but you'd be surprised how many practices, you know, you hear all kinds of wonky things. Like we've had uh, dentists who've taken Invisalign training courses. And then for five months afterwards, when people were calling for Invisalign, their staff says, oh, I don't think we do that here. And they would refer them to other practices down the street. And it was, it was insane, right? Like this was in the beginning when we just started tracking calls. Uh, we've also had cases where, you know, you've got an incredibly experienced dentist been doing dentistry for 30 years, highly knowledgeable, and somebody calls in and it, obviously they're a bit nervous. You know, they're thinking, you know, is Dr. So-and-so, are they like a specialist? Like, do they know what they're doing? And I've literally heard this uh, being said, oh no, he's just like a normal average dentist. Like he's not a specialist or anything like that. It's like, well, hold on a second. They've been doing dentistry for 30 years. No, they're not technically, they're not, uh, you know, pediatric dentist or, you know, uh, like they don't hold a specialty degree, but you can't describe this dentist as, oh, he's just a regular average dentist. You know, so this is where a lot of the problems happen is that, um, you know, dentists aren't really sure, like, what are your people even saying to your patients? You know, maybe this is what well, you need Well, to they're tackle. not, they're not having conversations. They're not training. No wonder yeah. this would happen. It's like, if I, if Heather doesn't educate, educate me about the different types of purses and you ask me <laughs> what purses she like, I'm going to start baffling about, I'm going to say coach and say coach, you know, but anyways, the, the point is you, you got to be, they got to be educated about it and they all got to be on the same page when they're saying that they've not, the, the thing is, is they're not prepared for the phone call is the phone calls and they're just, they're, they're winging it and you don't wing it. You, you prepare for every step. I love to compare with professional athletes and great artists. They, every step is prepared. And, and if you look at any successful business or person or what have you, every step is orchestrated again and again and again until it's right. And to be honest, those examples, Nick, all that says to me is one thing. That's an amateur per practice, essentially. They're amateurs. Absolutely. They are amateurs. And what we are speaking to is being a professional. To answer something like that 
is a great undermining of the potential of that practice. And guess what? Is it the person's fault? It is not that person's fault to answer the phone. That's what a lot of sales training companies will do. They will show the dentist how terrible your people are. It ain't them. It's a dentist. The dentist hasn't made it a, a, a priority and hasn't trained their team. So it's, it's very rarely the team member, unless they have a crummy attitude, don't want to be there and don't want to learn. That you can't do anything about. They got to go. Yeah. Okay. So guys, one thing that we see stump 95% of dentists that we start working with in the beginning is people will call, right? Like we get them to the website, they pick up the phone and they call the practice and, you know, say, hi, you know, do you guys do Invisalign or do you guys do dental implants? And the staff member says, uh, yes, we do. Uh, you know, are you looking for Invisalign? It's like, well, I didn't call to order a pizza. So yes, I think that's what I'm looking for, but they don't know what to say. So the patient inevitably asks, uh, okay, what do you guys charge for implants? And it's at this point that, you know, 95% of dental staff have absolutely no idea what to say. They either just flat out give them a random price and the person says, okay, thank you. And, you know, it hangs up or they give them the sort of runaround of, I can't tell you anything. We're not allowed to tell you anything. You have to come in for a consultation. And it makes the person feel like you're not being honest with them or genuine. You're just trying to sell them on something. Uh, but you guys teaching your great call process, something that, you know, we learned, uh, you know, a really great formula for how to like tackle this, these sort of situations. I wonder if you maybe just jump into a little bit, you know, maybe talk about how to handle things, uh, these types of calls. Well, that that's going to be difficult in less than three minutes. I certainly would recommend they go see the webinar and obviously our program, we spend probably nine hours in that one subject, but essentially not, this on, goes, implants. not on implants <laughs> on, on how to, to, to respond to these type of questions. Yes. But essentially this goes back to, we have to rehearse and train. And even if I gave you the exact thing to do, it ain't going to work unless you practice it. One of the things we talked about in another video is sales and why sales doesn't work because we have, well, sales can be manipulative and also the sales approach. When I say sales, sales in general isn't bad, but it has a negative connotation in terms of, especially in dentistry. So that's why we, we, we avoid that word. And so when the other issue is script, give me the script, tell me what to say when this happens. Problem with scripts is they sound scripted. And if I give you a script and you change the, the process a little bit, you're in trouble. You ever get, when you call Google or some of these places and you know you're not getting an American or somebody from Canada, you're getting somebody. Yeah. And, and, no, and this isn't a notch to their, their intelligence or capabilities. It's just, it's just, we know they're trying to cut costs. So those people are not well-trained. And it's fun. Well, I don't say mess with them, but if I ask them a question off their script, it's like a robot cannot compute, cannot compute. They don't know what to do. They're not, well, they're not trained for that. They said, read this script and do this. They'll say like, oh, I can help you. When I know they can't help me. Oh, I can help you with this. And I know they're not gonna, don't say that. It's, it's not like you just said, I'm calling for Invisalign. Are you calling for Invisalign? You know, so, so these are things that we really need to have training time. There's no quick solution for it now. Instead of scripts, you should learn a process for handling it. And Heather can, can review the great call process momentarily, just a little bit. And you can learn more about it in the webinar and obviously in great detail in our, in our coursework that we provide. 
So the great call process. And then there's also the, the idea of, of, and you're right, Nick, we kind of found a, and Heather, you can speak to this, a solution where mm-hmm. you don't immediately answer their question, but you, you have to answer it because they called and asked a question. We either go one way, we answer it to just get them off the call, or we don't answer it because we're trying to manipulate. There's got to be a middle ground. So Heather, tell us a little bit about that and maybe the great call process. Uh, right. Quick interview, quick uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of offices, they get caught in that limbo situation where they're either like, I can't give you a price. And then you're basically telling them no right off the bat. And that breaks rapport immediately. And people get defensive and they don't understand why can't you and the trust is broken. So there's like something wrong with this office. Like, why are you hiding this? And then there's the other where they just, there's no rapport whatsoever. It's just completely transactional. I say the team is almost like robotic where they pick up the phone and then it's like, you know, what do you charge for this? And I think the misconception when they hear somebody calling and price shopping or asking the price is that, oh, here's another shopper. They just want the price. They're going to just choose the cheapest office and then they're going to go somewhere else. So why should I even bother getting to know them? But the thing is, is that most patients they don't know what else to ask. That's like, you know, they think it's that dentistry is a commodity just like anything else. And so when they call up, they're like, well, what do you, what do you charge for this? And until we find out what are their needs, like how can we really help them and serve them? Maybe sometimes they call and ask about insurance and, you know, we might take, not take their insurance, but find out later down the road that they don't care about that or they don't have, you know, doesn't matter. So there's all these different things. And I think for, for all-star, the great call process is we want to find out who they are and how we can best help them. So if they're calling and they're asking about a crown or if they're asking about a veneer or an implant, it's like, great, like, let's get them to, to kind of pause and back, back up a few steps and say like, you know, thank you so much for calling. I'd be happy to help you with this. Can I ask you some questions so I can better assist you? And that allows us to take polite control of the call. That's what we call the transition statement. And we can then ask them some important qualifying questions like, who is this for? How do you know you need it? You know, stuff like that, because Maybe they've been to five other dentists and they just want to get another opinion. Maybe they've never been to a dentist. I've had people that would call our office all the time and say, what do you charge for an extraction? And I would say, well, you know, tell me, is this for yourself? What led you to think you needed to have your tooth extracted? I don't know. It just hurts. Well, if we can salvage the tooth, would you rather keep your tooth? And they're like, yeah, I'd rather keep it. They didn't even know that that was an option. So we start talking and saying, well, you know, let's, let's get you to come in and take a look at it. And I think that, you know, we don't necessarily want to give them exact prices because we don't know if that's what they really need. We don't know if they need one veneer. We don't know if they need one implant. They might need an implant or something else. And so when you start giving them a price, they're fixating on that price. And then when they come in, if that price isn't congruent, again, you just lost their trust. So I would say that, you know, we do what's called the show and tell process, which is where you're showing the value of what your office has for them. You're sizzling your practice. You're talking about the highlights and how it pertains to them. And then you're, you know, telling 
And it doesn't have to be a price. It can be just a range. You can talk about if you don't give out prices for crowns or implants or whatever it is, you can at least say, well, this is what the examination and what the x-rays cost. If they can't afford that, they're most likely not going to be a good candidate for your office anyway. Or you can give some sort of a range, but when you're giving the range, it's you've already built rapport with them. You've already understood what their needs are, what their wants are. You've talked about the value of your practice and how it pertains to them. And then you're giving this range. So it kind of all puts everything in context for them. Yeah. I think one thing I liked with your training, cause I mean, you know, we took it, uh, our account managers had no idea how to answer those calls either. So, you know, they kept coming back to me and saying, you know, man, these guys are terrible on the phone. And I would ask them, it's like, well, what would you say? Like, I don't know what to say. What would you say? And they had no idea either, right? So we felt it's not really fair to criticize the staff. I mean, if we don't know, what are they supposed to know, right? So when we took your program, uh, and I guess it was probably weird for you guys because like, it's like we don't work in a dental office. We have nothing to do with that. We just actually want to learn how to do this correctly ourselves. What I liked with your system was that it's not a script, but it's also, it gives you a system where it's not super wishy-washy, right? So I, I've seen uh, consulting companies uh, sort of like go to two extremes. Either they give you verbiage that you have to recite word for word, and then you're very robotic. And then it basically sounds like mm. you're calling a call center in India, or mm. it's huge high level concepts that are difficult for people to understand like, well, okay, but if the person asks this, what am I supposed to do? They don't really have any tools in their toolkit right? Because sometimes you might have to apply different tools at different parts. It really depends. Yeah, you need to let the conversation flow a bit naturally. But I like that process of, you know, here's how you can use a transition statement to, you know, segue into asking questions. You need to ask really good questions to better understand their situation. And, you know, it'll make them feel like, hey, this person actually cares. Everyone else just either gave me the price or try to get me to come in. This person's actually right. spending five minutes to talk to me and get to understand my problem a little bit. Then you talked about the selling the sizzle. This is so key because most people that are calling, they're really trying to figure out why should I pick you, right? Everybody mm -hmm. does implants. Everybody does Invisalign. Everybody can, you know, give me a filling. What they're really trying to understand is, you know, who do I like and trust the most? And oftentimes staff don't really know how to sell that sizzle in a way that doesn't come off as salesy in a way mm -hmm. that's sort of wrapped around. This is how it benefits you specifically. So guys, one of the things that we sort of find as a challenge is some dentists, they do know that customer service is an issue at their practice. I mean, they want to do training, you know, they're, they're willing to do it. But what I find is the staff might be a little bit resistant to it. Where this usually plays out is a young dentist who just bought a new practice from a retiring dentist. And usually when you buy the practice, I mean, you don't get to interview the staff because the staff don't know the practice is being sold. So once they bought it, they sort of inherit the staff. And sometimes, you know, they've been doing things a certain way for 20, 30 years. And they say, well, with Dr. Smith, we never had to do it this way. And it's like, well, Dr. Smith was about to go bankrupt. So that's <laughs> the practice got sold. So how do you deal with, let's say the dentist is on board, they want to do training, but they're getting pushback from the staff. Do you fire them? Do, is this a leadership issue? How do you tackle this well let's talk about this well what do you think nick <laughs> what do you think if uh, you want to you want a pretty good business if you want to do training and your team doesn't want to do training what happens so i never have defaulted business. to the uh you know if they're not going to be on board 
you know, it's like, you need to find another job because I just, I can't turn you into something you're not. I think I, I there you go. whether it was for something you guys had said, like you can't turn a donkey into a racehorse. You're, yeah, you're yeah. wasting your time. Right. So that, that really <laughs> well, it's stuck not, with me. It's, it's really more about don't expect a donkey to be a racehorse. Yeah. And the little nuance is important because we want to approach this with compassion not with they're a terrible, they're a tell- terrible person. We weren't able to convert them. A racehorse and a donkey have different functions and one is not better than the other. There is no better. But if this person is not capable or does not want to do that, it, it's, it's potentially not a right fit. And if you start asking the donkey to do something it doesn't want to do, it's not going to be a, a good outcome. And so the first issue though, that always just happens is it becomes a trial of the, of the leadership and it is a leadership issue. So the first question is, do you really want to train on customer service? Is it really important to you? And, and if so, how much? Because it, I don't know, I kind of think of Nietzsche, the, the philosopher, it's kind of like, I don't know, something to the fact that whichever is less painful, you'll do. So, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science here. It's, is my fear of addressing the team greater than my fear of losing tons of money? Cause I'm not doing customer service or the value that I see. And most dentists, it's almost like Jerry Seinfeld had this joke that more people are afraid of public speaking than dying. So you rather be in the cast in the casket than given the eulogy. So if you would like to lose a quarter million plus dollars every year off your business, and that's for an, a smaller practice, and, and that's the price you wanna pay for letting your staff, allowing your staff to be as they are or, or not train and up it, that's your prerogative. Your fear of not being good enough or fear of rejection or something is so great that you're willing to, to accept mediocrity. And it's not me to judge what's better. Some people don't, some people are very nonchalant. They want to practice like that. So, but don't call me and don't call Nick and say, I want X, Y, Z. I want to be more, I want to make more money. I want my team to be more responsive. I want to provide better customer service. One of my patients don't be congruent. Don't ask for that because you can't have both. You can't have a, 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 a subpar team or a team that's not willing to do it, and you have that vision. Something's got to give. Does that make sense? So that's why I always come back to the leadership part is that is that you have to have such a great conviction. And then you go to your team, because if you're not on board, they're, they're going to, because a lot of team members, here's their, their, their point of view. They know dentists always buying a new thing. They're always into a new training. Yeah, it's the latest. And they know, let me, just, let me just, there are two tactics a team will do. A spirits team. One, this is a smart team. I'll go along with it for the first few months, and then I'll just see if he he or she just forgets about it. That usually happens. And then other times they say, "I just not doing it." You know, that's rare. Typically, they'll kind of stall. But the point is, is you have to make clear as a leader, we're going to be doing this, and we're going to. And our philosophy is twenty minutes a week for the rest of your career. You're always training. Okay. And if you get somebody, this is very rare, that's so bold to say, I am, I'm not doing it, then that's an easy, basically, statement saying, I give my resignation to your company. 
That's basically what they're saying. And I would let them go. Um, the, the more difficult ones are the ones that they say they're going to do it and they don't. And then you have to chase them and they're just going to make your life difficult that you'll be like, it's not worth it. But how bad do you want it? There was a great book by Randy Pausch, uh, professor at Carnegie Mellon that wrote, brick walls are there for a reason. They show you how bad do you want it. So this is a question of leadership. And it's not just I fire everybody, but you better get your act on straight as a leader of, of what's important to you. And then the answer becomes clear. And it doesn't have to be done in a mean way. You can have lots of compassion for all your people. But if you're gonna have a business of race of racehorses, it would be inappropriate or not, really not efficient to have a bunch of donkeys. You know, some dentists, they wanna do training. And their staff are on board for it, but they sort of lose momentum, you know, after a couple of months, like you, you guys said, you know, they go along with it, you know, dentists keep buying courses, they keep buying things and the staff think, okay, you know, this is the latest one. He'll probably forget about it in a couple of weeks. So how do you keep staff motivated? I've seen some dentists try to bribe their staff with like bonuses, or I'm going to pay you extra money if you do this, you know, commissions, that kind of stuff. And I've never really seen that work too well. Uh, sometimes it builds a bit of toxicity because then everybody expects, a, you know, a raise or a bonus every time they have to lift a finger. So you guys have worked with a lot of different dentists all across U.S. and Canada. What are some effective ways that you've seen dentists continuously motivate their staff beyond just that first one to two months where everyone's excited and wants to do training? How do you get them to be excited about it for the next year? So it was interesting the other day, my son... I guess he, he must have told Heather this. I didn't hear it, but he said, do you know why I'm not doing chores anymore? And I go, no, why? You're not paying me an allowance. This is a seven-year-old. And I'm thinking, does he understand that we pay the house and all this? Does he understand that he's living rent-free? Okay. So we created a little monster with our seven-year-old. And so I don't know, that maybe kind of disqualifies my in this interview, my capability of leadership, I can't even get my seven-year-old to do anything. So I'm going to tell all you, no, but come on, everybody struggles with this. So this is not just me, even clinical psychologists. So that's just a little funny little thing there. There was a great quote I heard about with, with your team is you want to pay them well enough that money is no longer an issue. So that's one thing you can keep in mind. Also, as you know, Nick, and you're alluding to it, money is not the ultimate motivator. I, I yeah. heard a study recently, I think it was like number six or seven of the major things mm -hmm. that people want in a job. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be camaraderie. It's going to be acknowledgement, appreciation, mm -hmm. something you belong to, something that that inspires you, especially the new generation. The newer generations are less motivated by money. They're motivated on being part of something. They have, they have ownership in something. So, so we can go on for hours, but it comes back to this whole leadership issue. It is about, it is about what you're setting your vision to be, understand, and understanding emotional intelligence and human psychology and understanding and that they under, have an understanding with you that we see bonuses sometimes in these games are a manipulation that the dentist or the owner is doing. You're manipulating yeah. your team and they're playing with this game. I give you this for this. I give you that for that. And I do that with my son sometimes. And I end up like, I'm in like 10 manipulations with him and I, and it gets very confusing <laughs> where I go, okay, enough of this. I love you, Just do it. <laughs> but just do it. Okay. Uh, I brought you in this world. I can take you out now. Just kidding. But I, this is, uh, my, you know, I got to bring down the, the, you know, 
Heather's easy on him, but enough of this already. Come on. We're not, we're not doing this. So we don't want to get into that uh, essentially. So some motivations, I can tell you a bad motivation or a poor one. I had one, one office who's doing a wonderful job implementing and she has like little magnets of where people are on their coursework and it's fun and people are, they're talking about it in, and they, they talk together and they all want to get up on the, the po- and sometimes the winner might get a Starbucks gift card, but it's more like it's the whole team together in a fun thing. So that was really cool what she's doing. One part I, I, I thought was a problem. This goes back to, I don't know, in, in a prior episode, we talked about Seinfeld joke, but if you won, you got to do a five minute speech in front of your entire peers. That's not a good motivation because very few people want to win that. Now, me, maybe I'd be happy to go yap for a while to people, but very few people want to do that. Public speaking is not a, a sufficient motivator, so don't do that. But gift cards are fun things, recognition, appreciation, mm-hmm. games. If you can gamify it, if you can make mm-hmm. it, you can play with your team to make it fun, that's a great motivator. If you can lunches, going out places, but stop it with the manipulation, make it that you got to step back and say, what is going on with my practice? I see a vision. I want to do this. Why are they not motivated? What's going on? Now we talked before about the racehorse and donkey example. It may be the wrong team. Okay, fine. But maybe I set it up all wrong. Maybe I created the monster and I just sit back and say, it's the carrot and stick. This is what it's going to be. If you're from the book, good to great. If you don't want to be on this bus, get off it. Okay. And then you go, now that we're all together and we're on the same page and we all love each other, we're going to have a fun time together. We're going to train and have fun. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to make more money and we make more money. Guess what? I'm going to, that's going to go to your salaries. And we're a big fan of, of, of group bonuses. As we all do better, we all benefit. Maybe we'll go to Hawaii. We'll do something fun. What do y'all think? Great. You know, those are big <laughs> goals, but we'll also have some fun things that go on. We'll, we'll play. There's a great book called Fish, and they talk about toxic workplaces and how to improve it. And one aspect is to play. Play with the team. Play with your, your, your patients or customers. So maybe this gives you a little insight, Nick. I mean, again, this is a motivation theory. There's a lot there. But certainly we can point out what not to do. But I would summarize essentially is set your vision, be committed to it, and have fun and let your team have fun with you. It's and make it make it a make it a you look at the great companies. They are proudly part of the company. They wouldn't dare, they would love to train, they would love to do it. And if they're not having that love, like my son is waiting for the paycheck to do something, then we probably, as one of my first great teachers taught me, is you probably set it up wrong. If you didn't set it up right, you got to go back and get step one. This is what we're doing. Set it up right. Yeah, even in my personal experience, so I started in IT years ago, and we worked uh, for a local computer repair shop, and morale was really low because the business owner never really interacted with us. There was never any sort of appreciation, and there was a lot of staff turnover, inevitably, and there 
you know, solution for this was to create this really complex bonus system where if you sold X amount of extra hardware, you would get a 2% bonus on this and that. And it was just so silly because at the end of the day, really what everybody wanted is, you know, for this person to come in once in a while and say, Hey, you guys are doing a great job. You know, uh, you just appreciate the staff, you know, thank you so much for all your work on the last order and, you know, really helped us out a lot. That's it. You know, it wasn't like a, an extra $20 bonus every month or every week was really going to somehow change my perception of this business. And I think a lot of people, yeah, they set up the system where, you know, these bonuses, you end up creating more problems than, than they fix. <laughs> 